Welcome to the In the Lap of the Pods Queen podcast with Paul, Joe and myself, David. So we are into the third podcast of this series, if you want to call it that, and we are going to talk about Sheer Heart Attack. The album was released on the 8th of November 1974, and for some probably the start of the Queen's sound as we all know it um, in terms of diversity and different styles. As we'll discuss in this podcast, I think it's definitely after an album as, an, as ambitious as Queen 2, it feels like almost there was a little bit of breathing space on this album. Um, that's just my, my thoughts on it initially. Um, we'll discuss that. It was the first album to actually be a hit in the US and actually got to number 12. The album was, wasn't was a simple situation because um, Brian May happened to get ill during the making of the album. He was actually in hospital twice, once uh, with hepatitis and the other with a, a stomach ulcer. So poor Brian was in the hospital while the other three guys were plugging away in the studio, uh, putting the, the backing tracks together. And what they were doing is leaving gaps really for Brian to come in and, and finish his bits bits off. I do remember from the Days of Our Wives documentary, which is actually exceptionally good, that Brian talking about, you know, again, a paraphrase here, but I really didn't have my shit together, was roughly what he said in terms of, you know, his compositions for the album because the guys were all plugging away and Brian was, was in hospital. Um, but as we'll discuss, there's a lot of Brian May compositions on the album and very accomplished compositions, so uh, we'll discuss that, of course. But it was it was interesting, Brian's quote, um, when he came back into the studio from being in hospital, I'm going to pull it up here. The quote is, it was very weird because I was able to see the group from the outside and was pretty excited by what I saw. So he's he's almost approaching it like it probably, like, you know, a producer came in and looking at the band, so it was probably quite interesting for him to see, you know, being on the outside looking in and then the rest of his bandmates at work. The album was recorded in actually four different studios, which is interesting because much like Queen 2, it sounds like it was all recorded in one in one studio. Um, I think they've managed to get that to sound like a, you know, a cohesive piece of work in terms of it sounding like it was all recorded in, in the one session at the, at the one place. Trident was used again, and Rockfield was was used as well, which of course was used for the next album, Anita the Opera. So anyway, let's get to talking about the album. Um, Sheer Heart Attack. A big, big difference from Queen Two, Paul. Absolutely. Um, this is a band who are extremely accomplished musicians and extremely sure of themselves as, as songwriters and complete departure from Queen 2 and the first album. Although there are, you know, some echoes of uh, the, the previous sound and maybe, you know, some of the tracks have got a slight kind of fantasy element and all that. But on the whole, uh, we're moving into more just like standalone songs and rather than, you know, a, a kind of loose concept or whatever like maybe the first two albums had and it's you know uh, this is this is the beginnings of Queen as the the hit machine from here on in they're, they're the band that everybody knows 
hates or loves or whatever. It's a it's a great album. It's superb. You know, as I say, completely different from its predecessor. Just just a great album. And what you know, a great band, what can I say? <laughs> you know. Amazing. Okay, so got the I suppose the to, to just take a wee bit of stock here. First podcast, yeah, we really like this album. It's really good. Queen two, well, what an album, this is great. And now we're on the third podcast and we're saying, Oh, what an album. Yep. So, you know, forgive us if for anyone listening that thinks you know, you're wanting some some sort of a uh, some um we want to start grinding against each other on this. We might get that as we discuss it, I don't know, but it's but just this is just real for us. This is this is how good Queen were. You know, it's this is not a it's not a you know, an attempt to just oh let's do a Queen podcast and kiss their arses for, for fourteen episodes. It's certainly not gonna be the case when you actually listen to the fourteen and completion. So I'm I'm gonna bring Joe in now. Um what's your what's your thoughts on Sheer Heart Attack, Joe? Definitely one of my favourite Queen uh, records, without a doubt. Um, it's got a lot of, it's, uh, like Paul said before, it's. I think they took, probably took heed of a lot of the, the kind of experimentation from the, the records before, especially Queen 2. And with this, they probably thought, you know, it's kind of time to change it up a wee bit and Maybe try to strip the songs, strip the songs down a wee bit, make them a bit more kind of palatable for the the general public. Because, like Paul said, this was this most definitely was the first record that Queen had a, like an actual proper like hit, like proper hit that you know really resonated with with the public. That being Killer Queen, obviously, and uh, quite rightfully so. It's a it's an absolutely amazing pop song. But I would say that's the first time you really hear a pop song on a Queen record. Okay, that you know there's lighter moments on those those first two Queen records, but there's no real pop songs. Whereas that 100% is it's to its core, you know. But it's so it's a pop song, but it's by no means simple. It's so loud, you know. And vocals, the vocal wearing, it's so intelligent. But you know, it's not just like. Um, a Slade song or something, but it's just pretty basic, you know, stomp along, kind of, here's the guys in the pub sort of thing, you know, it really, a lot of thought went into it. But again, as, as much as it's it's got, it, it, you know, the first real indication that Queen can write a, you know, a knock out the pop, pop song, you've got Stone Cold Crazy, which I know we'll go into later and stuff like that, you know, about individual tracks. Stone Cold Crazy is like the most aggressive song that Queen ever wrote, and I think probably use would agree, I've got fair enough, but um, if it isn't, it's definitely right up the top, you know what I mean, because it's, and that, that again just shows that Queen weren't really given too much of a shit, really, you know what I mean, although I don't think that the whole pop thing was a priority for them, so, and that's proven by some of the heavier numbers on this record, that was like, yeah, we can do this, but we like doing this as well, and we're not going to change that. And that's what I loved about getting a lot of the 70s Queen output. It was very much just they did what they wanted to do. And that's, I, I love this album for that, because like the, the two previous, this record really it showcases Queen as a band that can do anything. And, and maybe when they touched on 
different different genres within one song. Where in this album, I think they really took like one song of one particular genre and and made a song of one particular genre rather than just dipping in and out. Mm-hmm. So that that was that, I think that was the first time I really heard them doing that properly. You know, that's really interesting. Yeah, I never really thought about it that way. But yeah, each song is. Sticking to a particular style and not really deviating from that, you know, and then you move on to the next song, and that'll be a completely yep. different style, but it'll be the same style from start to finish. Um, yep. That's something I never really thought of, and um, that's a good point. Yeah, for me, it's it's a very, it's it's a very, you know, I think Paul said the first album is a very simple album, and we kind of always sniggered at that, but this is the same. It's a very simple album, but in Queen terms, um, mm-hmm. you know, in, in, in general terms, it's, there's nothing simple, simple about it. No. Um, and I, I think it, there were moments when I was listening to this album, you, you know, just uh, reminding myself of it for the podcast where I had the hairs in the back of my neck. And that probably happens with all three, three of us with Queen on many occasions. But there were, there were bits in this album where, you know, it, again, it was that all-consuming um, feeling that you get from Queen in, in their music. And I think it's kind of what you were saying, Joe. You've got an album where you've got Queen 2, which, okay, if, you are, if you're a hard rock, heavy metal fan and you've got into the first album and the second album, maybe the second album you'll concede that there's some kind of flamboyancy on it, but you'll get past that and, you know, because there's still enough of a core, heavy vibe to the album that, you know, that you can, you can ride with. But I think maybe even for fans like that, but by the time they got to Sheer Heart Attack, yes, you've got a pop song called like, like Killer Queen and you've got all these other styles, but the fact that they actually nailed them, those styles, they absolutely nailed them mm-hmm. so convincingly must have made even the, the most cynical fan go, it's not the album I maybe expected to be the third Queen album, but do you know what? You've got to give them the, the respect and the props because... They're absolutely knocking out the park in terms of the, the styles that they're actually, you know, um, able to 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 showcase on this album. I'm, I'll come back to you, Paul. Uh, we normally do this a little bit later, but I'm going to just hit you right away and, and say, like, what's the what's what's your what's your favourite moments on this album? I, I remember when I bought this album, about eighty four, maybe eighty five, something like that. It was it was all about the the Brighton rock. I'd seen Brian doing the, the guitar solo thing and I was very much into the guitar at that time. So it was all about Brighton Rock. So first track, amazing. Even without the extended solo, it's a great little song. The riff, the, the main riff is so fast and so aggressive. When you take it out of the, the whimsical lyrics and all that, that, that behind that, that it's a very, very aggressive, very metal kind of riff sitting behind it. Uh, it's just a, just a great song. The, the solo itself is, is incredible. Like all great guitar players, it's not about showing off. It's about building something interesting, which he manages to do, for me anyway. So Brighton Rock, absolutely. You've got the first, the first song on the new Queen album, and within two minutes, two and a half minutes maybe, to, about two minutes, two and a half minutes, you're into a big extended guitar solo. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's the first song on your new album. I, I just, I just think, I think that's quite a bold thing to do, and, and you know, almost borderline reckless. 
And that's what I love about it. They they actually went, well, well we don't give a shit. This is this is the first song in the album. And yeah, it's got a big over-the-top guitar solo. Obviously, we know the guitar solo from Son and Daughter. You know, the BBC sessions, um, he does the, does the solo in, well, in a different sort of style on those sessions and did it live and all that in Son and Daughter. So it's not a, for Queen fans that were in the know at that point, there wouldn't have been anything new to them. But take on that, you know, do, do you agree? Do you disagree? Do you... I think I think possibly you're right. Maybe Killer Queen might have been a better beginning of the album or something. Just straight in, you know, the, the, the clicking fingers, you know, might have been a a more uh, accessible accessible uh, you know an introduction to the album. But as you say, this is a band takes convention. Yeah. 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 It's like this is what we're giving you. And that, that's it. Take it or leave it, kind of thing. But and I, but again, you know, you, you you've got the you've got the you know the sound effects of the the you know we call them shows in Scotland, but funfair or whatever at the at the start and all that. So it, it does in a way, kind of it, it does sound like a beginning that it kind of takes you in. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting. Um, so here we are for the first time having a, a a discussion about the sequencing of the album for the you know. For, yeah, the first two were pretty spot on as far as we're, the three of us were concerned. But here you're thinking, well, you know, is that the best way to I start the album? Yeah, I mean, for mm. me, it's certainly not a problem for me. Uh, you know, me no, personally, no. but but I just think for the for the masses, you know, for the record buyers, that, yeah, yeah, for that to be the first track. Any thoughts on that, Joe? Or I get where you're coming from. It's it's quite disjointed, although I love it. It's quite it's quite disjointed. Usually bands on their first song tend to have a, a more stripped down a song that just hits hard. Although that that, that does hit hard, but it has, it's just kind of, yeah, it's, it, there's no other way to put it. It's just kind of disjointed, but I don't mean that in a, in a negative way because I, I, I love it. And to be honest, I, I wouldn't have had that album open with, with any other song on it. Although yeah. there may have been better songs like Killer Queen, like, but then again, maybe maybe Killer Queen they didn't want that to be the first thing people heard because you know Queen at that point was still very much a, a very rocking band. Do you know, do you know what I mean? And yeah, they probably don't yeah. want their fans to hear yeah. that right off the bat. It's almost yeah. like maybe they're just kind of yeah. here's a really heavy song, really guitar driven song that we're known for, yeah. and here's the here's the here's the shocker next. Yeah, you know, the false sense of security, kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, again, yeah. that that might have had had something to do with it, you know, because yeah, uh, uh, you went from Bite Rock, which is some of the most aggressive guitar playing Brian ever did, into the Queen's first proper pop song, you could yeah. say. So mm-hmm. maybe that was maybe that was done deliberately to to, to have that sort of dynamic. So yeah. it's a great it's a great song and. The guitar playing in the middle section that is absolutely 100% uh, proto thrash metal. I know I've said that before in previous songs, but I think it's very developed at this point. Yeah. You know, but it didn't, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't, I mean, that's tra- that is yeah. thrash metal. And and again, somebody might know some other band that were doing that at that time that I don't know about, but I didn't know anybody, no. especially the speed that he's doing it. He's, yeah. he's properly, you know what I mean? It's fast. It's very precise. Yeah. It's not I mean, just it's playing chords and stuff. Yeah. Um, so it's impressive. It's, uh, uh, he's such an innovator on the guitar. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like we kind of spoke about before, him being such a reserved guy, when you play like that, you, you don't need to have a big persona. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just, just to be slightly slightly technical, you know, the, 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 almost a bit, <laughs> you kind of hum there, Joe, you know, the, the triplet things on the guitar, you know, yeah. um, you know, the... It, it's, the, it's the bit when it actually goes against the beat that, that absolutely yeah, nails it. It's yeah. thrash for me mm-hmm. yeah, because yeah. it goes and it goes against the beat on the second time. That's thrash. That's that is that is Metallica battery in '96 on Master of Puppets. That's that's that. You know, it is that far ahead. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. And just while I'm on this, there's one website I want to give a shout out to, and it's CreamSongs.info. I just came across this this website about three days ago, two or three days ago. These guys have put amazing work into this, and what they've what they've done is they've broken every single Queen song down into music theory and the modes they wow. use and the scales they use, and it is That's an cool, impressive man. piece of work. So, cool. and you know, um, Meta- I think Metallica was mentioned actually in, in that one as well. Um, right, I didn't know that about Metallica used this style later on and and in the mm-hmm. early eighties and and that kind of thing. But that's a really good website to go and, and really learn the real stuff. I mean, we talk about it's got this vibe, it's got that vibe, but you know, we we know a little bit about music theory, but not these guys clearly know their stuff. So if we if we say something's in this style, we might not be completely accurate. <laughs> these guys, so you'll go to that website if you want the real the real geeky stuff in terms of like. But we'll give you the vibes, and that's that's why you're here. So, um, but yeah, it, what a song to start off the album. We had a wee discussion the other day about how Brian May sits in the pantheon of great guitar players, and we were saying how his speed, there, there wasn't really anyone around mm-hmm. at the time that was matching him for sp- you know, the speed of his riffs, and yep. you know, and and not in a showy offy Ingvy Malmsteen kind of way. It's always always very musical, very rhythm. Yeah, but there was fast guitar players around. There was like Alvin Lee for ten years after, but. That was just flurries of notes and all that kind of stuff. This guy was very musical. I was struggling to think of anyone until Eddie Van Halen appeared in the scene about 77, 78, that had, had that speed and was able to use it in a musical. Can I, uh, can I, can I add to yeah. that as well, exactly what you're saying? It's the, it's the fact that he's rhythm playing, the speed in his rhythm playing. Yeah. Not... Because all the other guys, the maybe, souls, no. it's not, no, but it, it, it was it, it was rhythm guitar playing speed, mm-hmm. uh, like it was so as so. Up, the lead stuff, it, yeah, not the lead stuff. Well, talk, yeah, yeah, I'm talking yeah. about like rhythm development, you know, actual right hand tight right hand. Yeah, um, like we were talking about in Brighton Rock. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean that that's like, I mean that we, we play guitar. That's that is tight. That is so tightly played, and it's like I said, it is. And I think I genuinely think he he invented that shit. Yeah, <laughs> it's there to be challenged. You know, we're yeah. not saying in this podcast he yeah. he did, and it's just no. quite rightly said. If there's someone else there, I just I'm just not aware of it. And I'm yeah. the same. You know, if there's someone else that someone can point us point us to and say, well, actually, they were doing. I mean, you could talk about Richie Blackmore because obviously in Highway Star he goes, and it's similar. Ah, yeah, absolutely. You've got that similar vibe. Yeah. But there's two things. It wasn't played yeah. as fast as Brian May, 
And obviously the tone was completely different. Brian had a metallic tone. Yeah. Richie Blackmore had a very blues tone. You know, yep. and that was that was yep. the difference. So they, you had you had a bit of it with Blackmore before, but not in the same way. Not no. I wouldn't listen to Highway Star the bit they start Highway Star and go, yeah, that's that's trash. Yeah. That's yeah. Listen to that bit in Brian May. You could you could put double double kicks behind what Definitely. Brian May's doing there, yeah. Uh, yeah, and yeah. that's and, and that's all you need to do. You need to you need to change anything about what he's playing there. Poker thrash metal beat behind that, and it's and it's what is it thrash Metallica exactly <laughs> exactly one hundred percent. On YouTube, there is uh, an isolated drum track of Brighton Rock. And you, That's amazing. It's mostly Roger's drums. You need to go check that out. Yeah, if, you, if you thought Roger was just a mediocre drummer or just a drummer in the band, you need to listen to that. Oh, yeah. The guy is so important, the Queen, like Roger yep. Taylor. Those harmonies, when they have those ridiculous parts, you know, those hype, those ridiculous yeah, high parts yeah, without him, and that would have, if he was there, if he wasn't in that band, and it was just Brian and Freddie, those harmonies wouldn't have the same impact. But my, my favourite track track at the moment in this album is uh, "She Makes Me." I just, I don't, I don't know. It just, just a particular way I'm feeling or whatever. You know, that's the one that's, that's standing out for me at the moment. I've heard this album hundreds, thousands of times, whatever. There's always one song that'll resonate or whatever. But um I just like just the kind of dreamy quality to it. Uh, just a great sound. The the, the breathing at the end, the, the cop car sounds and all that. It's just you know, just an extremely interesting song. Just that just a great all round sound, you know uh, You know you've got the slowed down drums to make it almost sound like a drum machine. And mm-hmm. it's just a kick a kick and a snare through the whole song. And I think that's again another production technique that I think is interesting. It makes it sound big, but it's kind of what you're alluding to, Paul. It's got that haunting kind of sound to it, you know. Yeah. And 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 the melody is beautiful. It's actually such a beautiful melody, and the way yeah. Brian sings on it. And there's a lot of reverb on his vocals, which again adds to that kind of haunting quality. And it's 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 like a lot of Brian's stuff, you know, that's very melancholic. You yeah. know, a lot of his stuff is very kind of, you know, is, is that style, and it's 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 never very uplifting. You know, apart from the, the rockers, you know, he, that's where he's maybe get his uplifting. But when he doesn't do the rockers, it's usually it's usually very melancholic. Um, mm-hmm. Might be something to do with his, you know, with, with depression that he's suffered from and stuff. I don't know if that's part of it. And so it's it's yeah, it's it, I totally agree. It's an absolute great song. It almost sounds like something like I could. Totally imagine somebody like my bloody Valentine or, or somebody mm. doing that song. Mm. Oh, yeah. it's, it's definitely get that. It's almost like indie rock template. <laughs> it's totally get that vibe to it. Very spacious sounding. Very, it's droney. It's very droney. Yeah. Like, like a lot of that kind of stuff. Because there is that kind of that, uh, running yeah, right through yeah, it. Yeah. yeah the kind of drone. Yeah. 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 There's, a, there's a drone yeah. element to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is quite, quite interesting. Because I, I like it. I know, like, um, uh, Velvet Underground and stuff like that. I mean, they were, they were doing stuff like that back in the, like, the, the late 60s and stuff. So, I, I, by no means am I saying Queen invented drone rock or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but in, in the sense that um, yeah, she makes me like a proper structured song, whereas, like, obviously, Velvet Underground was but a lot. I mean, they did have songs and stuff, but, you know, it was a lot of crazy noises and experimentation and stuff like that 
and obviously like you like yous, I've heard this album hundreds and hundreds of times throughout my life and it's only when you really sit and analyse it mm-hmm. each song sort of thing where you think jeez oh, that, that, I never really looked at that song like that I also hear the Beatles in it vibe going on but I, I can hear that well I think I spoke to you guys about this. I hear that in a lot of Brian May's kind of more melancholy songs. I hear a lot of, especially the early ones on the first, maybe, first three albums. There's a lot of, I can hear the Beatles influence yeah. on it. Yeah. Um, it's funny how May's greatest influence was the Beatles and Mercury's uh, greatest influence was Jimi Hendrix. Hendrix. You think yeah. it would be The Other Way Around. The Other Way Around, yeah. It's weird, aye. It's a, it's a good song, man. It's a really, really good song. Haunting. Like, like you said, most of the Brian stuff is kind of like that. And I relate yeah. to a lot of that kind of stuff because I, I like I like depressing music. Yeah. Um, yeah so, so, um, so I mean, it fits, it fits nice in with the album. And it's also a good... Um, it's just such a different mood for the songs that comes before and the songs that come after. It's just like... And that's what I love about Queen as well. You, you don't just hear the, the musical influence in... The per- their personalities and their musical influence, you actually hear the different personalities in the vibe of the songs as well. And, you know, Brian May, like you said, David, probably, well, I would guess definitely they, they, they had some sort of depression with just judging by some, you know, those songs mm-hmm. because they do have that vibe. You know, Roger's a kind of like the good looking guy, so all his songs tend to be a bit more uplifting about going out on a Saturday night and no rebelling and stuff like that. I mean, so it's 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 awesome to to have an album that really um, encapsulates the moods of four different individuals and the lyrical content as well as the musical content. So, Joe, I've talked to Paul about uh, his favourite tracks and uh, some of the ones he's mentioned might be your favourites as well. But um, anyway, so what what kind of what kind of ones do you want to you know you know either your favourites or ones you want to talk about? Uh, well, Paul kind of kind of avoid it. Right? I didn't avoid Stone Cold Crazy, but he kind of, I think, because he, he knew kind of fine well that we were all going to talk about that one, given mm-hmm. our background and stuff like that and the state of shit we're into. It's pretty obvious what I'm going to say about this, to be honest. It's, it's just like, what, what what is really coming close to that and in the in the sense of speed, accuracy, and aggression at that time in 1974, nothing. And I listened to a lot of stuff for that time period. Blows Deep Purple, Clean Out the Water, Blows Sabbath Out the Water, Judas Priest. I mean, that, that would probably be the, the the competition at that point. And uh, man, that 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 song smokes every one of them, man, just for like sheer accuracy and speed and aggression. It's like Really, I, that's the thing between, like, I think we touched on it before and stuff like that, with we, we, Queen 1 and Queen 2. Uh, uh, Queen's, especially on this song, like you're saying, it's a quite a fast album. Even the a lot of the songs that are kind of popular, almost, or quirkier, if you want another way to put it, they're still really fast. There's a real there's a real speed to this album. Not on all the tracks, but on, when, the, when the, the, the fast songs are fast. I think it's the, I'd probably say it goes fast to say it's the fastest Queen album. Like, there's just so much pace on it. Um, but that song is just like, I mean, everything's in there. It's like, it's got, it's got the kind of, the fat, really quick, fast hand, right hand rhythm, guitar playing, 
it's got the it's got the the kind of permuted stabs as well. That you didn't really hear much at that time. You know the dun 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 dun. It's like jun, 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 stuff like that. I mean, you heard guys giving you know straight chugging and stuff, but he was like really using it like rhythmically, using his guitar like like a rhythm, like a proper rhythm instrument on that track rather than rather than an instrument to bring um, any sort of musicality to it. Almost it's all because his riff's very angular. It's a really I mean, it's, still, it's a really hard riff to play, and I mean, I've been playing guitar for Christ, I've been playing guitar for thirty years, and even. When I first learned to play it, you know, somebody who played thrash metal and death metal, grindcore, stuff like that, and my, my own bands and stuff like that, it's a really hard riff to play. And this guy's writing that stuff back then. It's really, it's just a really angular riff, and that really speaks to me because I love that type of music. And obviously, with Metallica covering it, covering the song, and somehow managing to make it less aggressive than Queen, is quite <laughs> funny. <I know. laughs> You know, the Metallica ones sounds like they recorded it in a fucking vacuum. There's no life in it whatsoever. It's so sucked to life, it's unbelievable. Whereas the Queen one tears your face off. But not just that, on that track as well, not just necessarily the guitar playing, but everything, man. See the, the, the fast, the really fast machine gun vocal. That's thrash metal. That's yeah. Slayer. Listen yeah. to Slayer. <laughs> Listen to Slayer, right? That's. That or, or even like even before that, like like um, punk bands like DRI, probably people people might know who I'm talking about, but like really really early hardcore punk, really really fast vocal delivery, over heavy you know fast music, and that's exactly what that song is. It's fast as fuck, it's fast lyrical you know phrasing, really really fast lyrical phrasing. The drums are chaos, you know. It's just like it's just like, man, what were they, what were they, what were they, what were they using for inspiration at that point? It's so, <laughs> so angry. It really is, though. It's really, it really is angry. Yeah, <laughs> it's still raging. Yeah, <laughs> it's still I, I, think that, I think that's a good point. What were they using for inspiration? Because it's, it's, it's so raging, and 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 that only leads to that. Well, that leads you to the the conclusion that they were creating something original and. Something Definitely. that was actually taking, okay, taking, taking styles of, of you know metal, but but ramping it up and, and turning it into to something punchier, yeah. you know, you know, higher attack and all the rest of it. Could only maybe think he was taking that from somehow taking that for like classical music, you know, the way kind yeah, of like no, classical. It's choppy. It's quite choppy sounding, you know, like dun, 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 you know, like like parts yeah. like that because he's yeah. and I can hear that. I can totally hear that in his guitar playing, and he somehow took that sort of maybe a classical influence in the way that the, the yeah, instrumentation was built. Yeah, but what is it? You call that slashing or something? Slashing at the... Oh, okay. Using the bubble slash the strings. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you, know, you know the way, like, you know, like, classical music, like, it's breaking, broken down, so, like, the one guy will play, like, obviously one instrument, but there's like, nobody really plays the same thing, but it's all, but it all comes together as one cohesive mm. piece of music. Well, Brian is very much like that, and, he's, and the way he builds his guitar parts as well. They're like, they're just like they're, they're designed to be like one part to fit to make it's it's like multiple parts to make one part. Mm-hmm. If you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's not. But uh, I anyway, I digress. But, but I, it's just like he's, he's so so choppy in the way he plays. 
Um, and also play me a coin as well, like we, we all know. That I mean, to have that accuracy, because oh, I know yeah. I've, I, I, I think everybody's trying to play with a coin, you know, <laughs> just it's the most horrible experience ever. But that, yeah. that guy's doing all this, all this really crazy, innovative shit. Brian May, especially on tracks like that, man, the, the respect, the guy should be like held up, you know. Yeah, he, he is, he is a genius and he is an innovator, um, as you say, Joe. He, he's an absolute genius and, and, um, and and that that's that's the thing for me. Um, I I don't need I don't need someone on stage looking like the every bit the guitar god. I just no. need someone that plays and plays well and plays with yep. passion and and plays yep. as, you know. And and listen, that can be that can be a, a guy that plays three chord hardcore punk, and he's on stage mm-hmm. and just just does his thing right up to yep. some someone like Brian May. I'm not being snobbish about it. It doesn't mean you have to yep. play your instrument. Absolutely, you know, I, I, I practice every single well, it's not about that, it's just just play with passion and be real, real. and that's what yep. Brian May is. He's real, he could have been kind of tragic where he, you know, tried to be the, the rock god like Jimmy Page and where he tried to, you know, you know, shoehorn that into his style. And that would that would have been tragic because that, that would have been someone that, that isn't him, but it's don't go crazy, yeah. It's Paul, Paul, probably rightly. <laughs> didn't bring that up right away yep. because it was obvious what we're going to feel about that track, and yep. I think it was it was great to see James Hetfield actually singing it at the the um, tribute concert because he's, he, James is not a great singer, but when when he does that metal stuff when he's got the aggressive raspiness, I like his voice a lot, and because it was Queen playing it with his voice rather than that, I agree with you, Joe. That really poor Metallica cover. You had James yeah. Hetfield singing with, with Queen and you had Tony Iommi actually backing up on guitar as well, which made it even uh, sweeter, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, yeah. on, on stage. So, and you can see James Hetfield with the, the smile absolutely spread right across yeah, his yeah. face when he's singing it. And he says at the end, yeah. this is unreal, you know. Yeah, <laughs> you know, aye, that, that's, that's a guy. That's a guy that's, you know, the Black Album is on the verge of selling, you know, 30-odd, 35, 40 million albums. And the guy's still like a big kid, a big massive yeah. smile on his face and... That that's a really good moment, and I, and I really uh, it's 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 one of the best performances on the for me on the the Freddie tribute. Uh, I, 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 I think um, it is the, the, that and George Michael. Ah, <laughs> somebody to love. Ah, you know he nailed that, didn't he? Yeah, he did. I've got, anyway, I've got to give it up, man. Yeah, absolutely. Paul, do you want to continue with any any other standout tracks you've given us? Brighton Rock, and obviously she makes me. I think I think Flick of the Wrist is quite an interesting, certainly lyrically. Yep. We, we all know about Death and Two Legs that, that's coming up with the next album, but is this an, early, an earlier diss track for the Sheffield Brothers? Or is it just about the business in general, the music business, you know? You know it's, it's really strange, it's sorry. I think you have to a pause there, so I'll come in. It's so weird. I, I'm, I'm really sorry to the listeners, but honestly, we don't, pre, we don't get together and just decide that we're going to all say the same thing and agree with the same thing, but that's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> two legs I thought because yeah. in my notes I thought the lyrics are really brutal and yeah. really and I, and I said and in my notes I basically said this is this is very similar in style lyrical style to Death on Two Legs in terms of like yeah, yeah. The lyrics, I think you know? I, I think Death on Two Legs goes maybe about 20% harder <laughs> <laughs> you know no, it's more personal more to, it's, it's, di- and all that, it's directed know? towards an individual or individuals yeah. as opposed, as opposed yeah. to fucking the rest I suppose yeah yeah, um, uh, and you know, in, in terms of you know, uh, 
it's, it's having an attack on the industry yeah. or particular people in, in general. Um, and, and, you know, and it's an interesting song as well. It, again, there's, wee, there's little bits of very fast kind of rhythm guitar, you know, going on. There's, you know, there's, there's still that metallic element here, even among songs that are, you know, that they seem to be masked by the music in front of it. So me sitting in the background and he's laid with these incredible uh, riffs and all that, you know. Yeah, great song. What do you guys think? I I just love the the general vibe of the song. It's really dark. Well, the verses anyway. The verses are really dark. I never even really thought about about it being like a kind of. It's interesting that you guys said that because I. I, I I didn't. I, I didn't look that deeply into the lyrics on it. I mean, I know the lyrics, but but now that you mention it, I can see that. Yeah, it's it's just a it's just a really solid song, and and I didn't know, but I, I read recently that um, Tenement Funster, Flick of the Wrist, and Lolly the Valley are all meant to be are all kind of meant to be like a trilogy. Is that right? Yeah, apa- apa- apparently, apparently, because. If I'm right, if I'm right in saying this, those three songs, I, I might be wrong, but I don't think they have a gap between them. Yet all no, the other no. songs, yet all the other songs, ah, right. do, mm-hmm. they do have a gap. So I don't know if they've been. Yeah, I don't think I don't know if they've been written to be to deliberately be like that. But I think they've somehow Queen have came to the conclusion that those three songs kind of meld for what for whatever reason um, together. So I kind of look at those. Well, I'll be honest, I wouldn't have said Tenement Funster, but I can see the other two kind of merging. In terms of a trilogy, certainly certainly Tenement Funster got into Flick of the Wrist actually makes a lot of sense to me because um, in Tenement Funster, like, get me a guitar, just any guitar. So he gets the guitar, he becomes a rock star, and then the ah, right, okay. the yep. he's yep. getting his arm twisted to sign a, a, a contract that he doesn't want to sign. And, you know, well, Lily the Valley comes in to to uh, oh. is more debatable, I suppose, because that's yeah, suppose. that's certainly the song that that Brian said was Freddie's first um, attempt at discussing mm-hmm. his uh, homosexuality. So that's right. that's um, you know that's um, you know I don't know how that fits in, but yeah, I mean, could that could that be the rock star that? Well, there you go. That could could that be Freddie's story? You know, almost like you know. I just want to be a, a, a rock star, a musician. I'm having to sign this deal, and I'm in a, am I in a situation with the Sheffield Brothers that that's bothering me now? And then, and oh, yeah. you know, I'm a gay rock star now, and you know, I'm dealing with that. That's quite interesting, actually. You know, that listen, that's just my armchair psychology. <laughs> look at look at those three tunes. You know, I'm, I can all, it'll almost make me think of those three songs together in a different way. You know, um, yeah, totally. That's that's interesting. Okay, so what's mm-hmm. the next one? Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm going to go with Killer Queen. I think it's the greatest song about a sex worker there ever has been. Um, you've got Roxanne by The Police. You've got Strange Kind of Women by Deep Purple. You've got Caroline by State Score. There's probably endless other ones, but this is... You've got a lot of sex worker songs listed here, man. Yes. Oh, I, <laughs> oh, I know my sex worker songs, mate. <laughs> Clearly. Um, so this, you know... When this came out, this put Queen firmly in the glam rock category as far as, far as lazy critics go, certainly in the UK and all that. So they were, they were in there with Slade and T-Rex and all that, you know, uh, despite the fact far superior musicians and all the rest of it. 
but just this is this is high art compared to anything these guys these other bands could come up with as far as I'm concerned the lyrics are just incredible like like I learned a lot of my history from Iron Maiden you know Steve Harris I also learned about Chris Job and Kennedy from Freddie so you know there's <laughs> that as well uh, any song that can teach you um, about, about history it's always good but can I say this this is this is definitely Freddie announcing himself in the world, really, you know, the wider world. You know, there, there's people who knew about him before, but going to Queen gigs and all that and so on. But this is him, number two in the UK chart, top of the pops, wearing wearing a fur jacket thing, whatever it was, just looking every inch the star. This is certainly the beginning of his his journey. It's an absolute legend. Great track. I'm paraphrasing again here, but it's a Brian May um, thing he said about Killer Queen. He says, there's a lot of things in that song that just happen once. You know, there's a lot of things in, you know, in the overdubs and the, the little bits in the background that it's just done once yeah. and then you never hear oh, it again. Yeah. You know, the, well, I mean, the triangle is, yep. is once yep. and then you yeah. don't hear that again. But, it's been, but I've been listening to these albums on earphones, really good earphones, and, and you, can, you can hear every single nuance of the songs. And in that particular song, there was licks that Brian May was doing on the guitar um, that I'd never noticed before, um, just in the verses, just really simple. And and he does it in one verse, just this little kind of rhythmical dunk, 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 dunk on his guitar. And then the second verse, it just changes up slightly. He goes, I can't remember the exact rhythm, but it's a completely different rhythm from the, the, first, the first verse or, or whatever verse I'm talking about. But it's just that, and I think all those wee... Again, as Joe's talked about it at the start, near the start of the podcast, you know about Killer Queen. It's it's a pop song, but it's it's much more imaginative and and yeah. intelligent than 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 a lot of the other stuff about. Um, and there's other bands about that time that would be creating intelligent pop music as well. Of course there are, but you know, just we're talking about Queen here, and you know, and and they weren't. You know, you can they can maybe be accused of that a wee bit later on, and certainly in the eighties, you know, maybe a bit more throwaway pop songs where, you know, maybe they wouldn't even be in the studio at the same time when they're recording half of it. You know, it's it, maybe the the pulling together as a band happened less. You know, so the pop songs seemed a bit more vapid when it got to the eighties, but certainly at this point in time, with the talent they had and the and the absolute um, team spirit that the band had, you know, that's what produces a a, a pop song like Killer Queen. I was thinking about this uh, the, today, actually. I think Killer Queen, um, obviously, the story of me finding Queen was obviously my dad giving me a cassette in the mid-80s, um, and it was Greatest Hits. And for some reason, Killer Queen seems to be the, seems to be, might not have been the first song that I heard, but it just seems to be the one that when I think back to being a kid, it seems to be the one that, that really is, like, burns in my mind. So, I mean, so it was obviously an important song for me, you know, when I first heard Queen and for that for that very reason, I mean, you, you covered most of it anyway in what you said. I mean, it's just a, an amazingly constructed song, you know, and pop song. Yeah, and it's and the subject matter's kind of risky. Uh, in, the, in the lap of the gods, um, let's just talk about the incredible skyscraping register that Roger Taylor has. Roger learned to do that as a choir boy, so yeah. yeah. Genuinely, yeah. 
Guy? Yeah. Ah, he was a choir boy. Yeah. Ah, uh, okay. So, I didn't know that. so he, he could. So he he was in a Fred, a trained vocalist, whereas Freddie wasn't, and you know, mm. it's just interesting that way. But you know, you you have this this amazing vocal harmony, and then it, you know, he's at the piano, and then just the the distorted vocals from Freddie. Just you have a guy that can sing that well and all that, and you you think about putting an effect on his voice, you would think what what you're doing, but slowing the tape down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it absolutely works here. You know, just slowing it, slowing the voice down. It's a great song, just incredible. To, you know, just the, the, the you know the vocal effect at the start. You know, just the <laughs> The intro is incredible, especially coming after Now I'm Here, which is a kind of 12 bar blues rocker type thing, you know. It's a good enough track, but it's straight ahead, kind of rocker kind of thing, as far as I'm concerned, but still interesting enough. Yeah, I, I know what they've got, it's a great track. I like the fact that they pitched the vocals on it as well, I think that's mm. really cool, kind of different as well. Uh, again, I, I don't know if they give it, can I give it? That sort of dark vibe that is all over Queen, Queen's, especially the first um, three records. Man, there's, there's a there's a really dark vibe. I mean, and amongst the the, the very lighter moments, you know, like in Bit Leroy Brown and stuff like that. It's just it's a really it's a heavy vibe. It's, it's got a really heavy vibe in it, and it, the black white vibe of the the verses in the chorus, whereas the verses are quite dark and and then the, the kind of Chorus is a bit more uplifting and stuff like that. Again, it's just really, really great dynamics and songwriting. I would, yeah. I wouldn't put it as one of my favourite songs on the record, but as as a great, that's like Queen. So it's, I mean, even songs that you know that aren't my favourites are probably better than ninety percent of other bands' great songs. <laughs> that's a good point, and I think um, the. Just talking about in the lap of the gods, um, the, you know, the obviously the intro, the way it starts, the you know, with Roger screaming his head off, you know, ah, those high reds, yeah, yep, <laughs> yep. you know, and um, and then it and then it does that, and then it kind of, kind of smooths out, oh, doom, 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 yeah. and then it goes, and it goes, ah, and it goes back in dead loud, like you yeah. like that, and it goes, comes in, but yeah. you know, see, when it comes yeah. in at that moment, though, drums and then the sound of it. It reminds me of these old biblical movies with the oh, yeah. big, those big massive soundtracks. You know, uh, yeah. you know, you yeah. know, they, they films when they spent millions and millions of dollars and they had massive stage sets and all. You know, they looked Ben Hart is exactly. They just looked massive. Yeah. But they always had those big sinister soundtracks, and yeah. uh, and it is very very cinematic at the start, and it just takes me yeah. back to being a being you know, a, a, a wee boy and you're watching the telly and, and these, these films are always on, you know, and you're just, you're just, it's, it's always those big, you know, and massive Dramatic, soundtracks, yeah. you know, that, yeah. you know and, and that's what it reminds me of. And it's probably, uh, and again, another, sorry, is, is that another example of Queen saying, there's something we can do as well. <laughs> you know, it's uh, just, uh, fuck, you know, yeah, you're absolutely, absolute show off bastards, you know, it's just like, <laughs> The song, the song title as well, you know what I mean, and the Lap of the Gods and stuff like that, it's like, that, if there was, if somebody gave me that title, that, that is the music that I'd put to that title. Uh, <laughs> do, you yeah. know, uh, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's, so quite, it's, got, it's got to be massive sound. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah. whatever came first, if yeah. music came first, they probably thought this, this is very reminiscent of God, you know, those old movies where it was all like Greek gods and stuff like that. And, yeah. 
It's got that very yeah. much got that vibe. It's kind of it's a bit like uh, you're absolutely right about the the old film thing, but certainly going back to opera and all that. Like it's yeah. very, uh, it's like Wagner. It's, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Like, like, you know, the ring cycle and all that. It's like, you know, the big fat woman with the spear and all that. You could have just imagined her, you know. Um, yeah. And then, it, you know, as the music comes down at the piano and then it goes back up again. Yeah, uh, you know, incredible. And this, uh, and these are guys who are lumped in with glam rockers. That was that was just because that, that song charted at the, the time it did. Yeah. And, they wore, and, and Freddie wore, wore a bit of makeup. Because if you look at John and Brian and Roger, they're just like every other guy at that time in a, in a yeah. heavy rock band. They're just guys with long hair. It's Freddie's really the only guy that can... No, can I mean, it's certainly... I mean, of course, of course, Zandra Rhodes worked with them and all that, so they definitely had their... their they, they had their image kind of worked uh, out. And all I mean, it was, right. it was... But what you're saying, yeah. Joe, it wasn't over the top. It wasn't It wasn't like uh, exactly big, massive platforms oh. and, and you know, sparkly, you know, zigzags and no. all the rest of it. You know, it was it was... More tastefully done, yep. possibly, um, at the time. But um, but yeah, yep. it's it's so. In the lap of the gods, I think is, I think it's a good <laughs> shout. The, the original one, I think, in lap of the gods revisited is, it's a it's a different song. It's, it's so we might talk about that later on. But let's come back again to yourself, Paul. Is there is there anything else you want to want to mention? Any other tracks that stick out for you? I'm I'm going to talk about Leroy Brown. And as we as we've been discussing, this this band can take any form of music and 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 have a good crack at it and and make it sound good. We've got music called Vaudeville and uh, Leroy Brown, but we've talked about Wagnerian type, you know, opera, straight up heavy metal, beautiful ballads. The comparison that you know, not just me. Make in terms of Queen is they're they're very much like the Beatles in terms of they can they can have a crack at any type of music and make it sound good and I think Queen I can't think of any other band at all Queen emerged that they were like that I'm not saying before you write in that you know Queen are better than the Beatles because you know that's a that's a different argument for a different day but this band can could have a go at anything. They've got the tools to do anything um, at this, this point, certainly at this point in their career. Um, incredible. And Leroy Brown, it's, it's so fast, and I bet there's a lot of fast stuff in this album. It's, you know, it's like uh, there's an urgency, you know, uh, running through it. And uh, it's a great track. Is it, is it the weakest track in the album, or is it the. No, I don't think it's one of the weakest songs in the album. I actually think it's potentially one of the best. Um, mm-hmm. It's I, I, I think it's an absolutely brilliant piece of music. And, and the fact that a band, you know, who could come from Queen 2, and you remember this album was released in the same year as Queen 2. Mm-hmm. You know, Queen 2 was released in March, this was released in November. You know, it's like you're getting, you're getting this... <laughs> you know this ma- majestic, pompous, you know, just inflated kind of product at the start of the year, and then the end of the year you're getting this kind of like diverse, you know, and 
and light heart, more exactly, more maybe take yourself a wee bit less seriously, you know, and you're gonna, it's like two, in many ways, it does sound like two different bands, but obviously the similar, you know, there are a lot of similarities in, in both albums, but but in terms of Leroy Brown, I think it's absolutely phenomenal the way they actually put that together. I, I think it's, it's Paul, you said about the speed, the speed of the playing, and, mm-hmm. and, yep. and, and, you know, it's so convincing in terms of tone wise, even when, when Brian comes in with that jazz, that jazz guitar in the background. Mm-hmm. It's tone wise, everything, they've got it perfect. I, I could almost imagine walking into a speakeasy in 1930 in no. Chicago somewhere and hearing that song on stage. It's that and good. It, it sounds, uh, you know, it sounds so much of the capture that time. And I, and, I, and I guess as an actual double bass, it, uh, John Deacon's playing as well because it certainly sounds like it. It must be. It uh, must be. Uh, yeah, yeah. Unless he's using a fretless bass, right? Now. No, it's a stand-up bass. Yeah, stand-up. Yeah. Ah, it's different. It's ah. a stand-standing one. Mm-hmm. That's the first time that you probably hear Queen take a style, a, a, a known style. And just absolutely crush it. And, and yep. the musical ability to be able to do that, to sound like a Dixieland band, have Barbershop in there, have, have mm-hmm. all those elements and jazz guitar. And mm-hmm. that is a stunning piece of music, actually, when I think about it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so, no, there's no way is that one of the weakest songs in the album. No, I, I, not saying that, I don't know if there's many weak songs on this album. If I'm going to put it out there, since we're talking about it, my probably the weakest song on the album for me is probably "Now I'm Here." I agree. Uh, now I'm here is 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 a what I put against "Now I'm Here" is it's a it's a rocker. That's it. Mm-hmm. There's not there's not a hell of a lot to discuss with with "Now I'm Here," and I'm not going to start analyze over analyzing it or analyzing it too much because. It's a Queen song, so therefore it mu- there must be something magical and then really great. It's just a rocker, man. What I would say is, is the riff in it, the do 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 that that riff is brilliant and almost deserves a better song. Yeah, a lot of but Ogre Battles to me. Ogre Battles a better song. That's a Peter song. Yeah, but I mean, as it's got a riff that kind of. It's almost too good to be in the song. I said this in the last podcast. You're not going to get three of us focusing on the heavy tracks. There you go. There's one of the heaviest heavy tracks on the album, and mm. I'm saying it's for me personally is is the weakest song on the album. So just because it rocks doesn't mean it's the best song, <laughs> especially when it comes to Queen. Because um, they have they've got so much talent overall. The sheer speed, the sheer speed of it as well. I mean, the, the, see if you listen to the kick, the kick drum. See the the actual the, the the. I know it sounds probably kind of silly, but if you actually just hone in on his drumming, how fast the, the kicks are, and it? it's and that's for a single kick pedal. Yeah, and it's ra- it's rapid and it's rapid, but it's tight. Everything about that song is just really tight. They've condensed loads and loads of ideas into a really really short song. I think, like you say, that you know, you ask most people that are Queen fans, you know, oh, now I'm here, but I totally agree with you. I would rather listen to that any day of the week, just because it's it's more interesting to the year. Yeah, you know what I mean. And if you're, um, if you're t- from a total musician's point of view, it's just a it's just 
an interesting listen. Whereas uh, like now I'm here's just like yeah, it's a rock song. Mm. And it, it yeah. does what it's supposed it does what it's supposed to do live. It's supposed to get yeah. the crowd going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's what right. I'm saying. Yeah. Queen could do could do that. They could do songs where they knew probably I know they did Leroy Brown live and stuff like that back back then, but obviously it didn't yeah. they stay in the set later on, you know, yeah. of yeah. which is understandable. But yeah, it's, it's just <laughs> a, it's a really, really diverse song and like you said, they, they just nail a they nail yeah. a specific genre of music. Bang on. I like I really like Tenement Funster, man. Tenement Funster's a is a good tune, man. It's got a good swagger. Uh, again, it's I, I love Roger's voice, man. I think, yeah, like, boys. I, I, honestly, I mean, I think that, that that guy could. I mean, he did front his own band, obviously the Cross and stuff like that. But if that guy hadn't, I think if he hadn't have been in Queen and maybe found good musicians in the seventies and just became a singer, that guy could have held his own, man. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. That's really interesting. I wasn't thinking exactly like that, Joe. Uh, Absolutely. I was thinking. Oh, I, I think so. But but I was thinking I was thinking along the lines of Roger as a songwriter, and what I was actually thinking was, I wonder if I actually made a playlist, maybe in Spotify, of just all the songs that Roger sang on, and what that would sound like. You I know, like, I think it, 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 it would probably be a really good album. <laughs> and, and, and I'm and I'm, th- and I'm thinking to myself, what kind of vibe would it be? And I'm thinking, it would probably be like a really dark. Heavy Springsteen or something, you know, really. Uh, you know, uh, like you know, I pictured Roger and, and the, the, you know, you mentioned Tenement Funster and what I like about Tenement Funster and, and a lot of Roger's com, uh, compositions is I can visualize everything when he yeah. when he, when he oh, he's very literal. I can yeah. see, I can see it's very literal, but not in a in a cheap kind of just, you know, you're there. You know where yeah. Roger's lyrics are there. You know where it's losing in the end, or t- you know, and, and I think I, I suppose it's, he's, it's because his lyrics are more accessible than the Freddies and Brian's, I, I guess. You know, and and and, he, and to an extent, uh, John's maybe. I think he's writing it from a from his own personal experience as well. Because I mean, it's like you know, songs about a, a young guy being young. Most yeah. of his songs at that point, you know, what I mean, so he's writing. If you're writing for the heart and what you know, then it's it's gonna it's gonna you know. It, it, it's going to sit with folk because everybody grew up <laughs> for being and a teenager, it, do you know what I mean? So it's all, everybody goes through the same stuff, yeah. you know what I mean? And, and you can relate to Roger's stuff. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think that's interesting because we talked about when I mean, Queen weren't exactly young when they recorded that first album. They were mid to late 20s. And yeah. because you've got Roger actually in his 20s, he's actually got enough time to look back in his teenage years and actually reflect yeah. on it. That's Absolutely. why you get things like teen- rather than being eighteen and making a song like Tenement Funster might have been a bit more um, immature and and maybe you know yeah. so he's he's actually still got that. T- I think Roger Taylor's still sitting here. What is he? Probably sixty nine, seventy. He's probably still a teenager. You know what I mean? He's, he's, I think he's just one of these guys that just would. It's always got that mindset of a of a teenager yeah. and and you know and, and the way he lives his life and and that's that's you know it's uh, actually. Admire that, and I wish I wish I had that kind of frame of mind. I mean, we're all we're all still sixteen in our minds, probably most of the time. But you know, it's, it's but uh, Roger right. is something. It's like something in Queen that you you know. I think for a lot of fans, you can grasp onto. You can you can grab it. You can go. Yeah, yeah I, I get you, Roger. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling that too. 
and probably yeah. Brian as well to a degree. Any, any other tracks, Joe, that you, you wanted to sort of mention? Yeah, uh, Lily Valley, just, it's a beautiful song and vocal, I think Freddie, that's another showcase for Freddie's vocal performance as well and how much, um, I mean, that guy could just didn't need a lot of extravagant music um, to, to absolutely, you know, capture your, your ear. The guy was such a captivating voice, probably more so than anybody else, especially in songs like that, you know, obviously, um, on the night of the opera and stuff like that, you know, you've got uh, ballads on that and stuff like that that are, are awesome. But not that Lily the Ballad is necessarily a ballad, but but softer songs. But yeah, the, the vocals, it's just at any opportunity to hear that guy just singing the stripped down um, backing track, it's obviously amazing. I see it as a, it's kind of almost like a Nevermore part two. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's very very similar in style, and and even the even the the, the vocal harmonies in the background to complement mm-hmm. Freddie. Uh, it's a it's a beautiful song in it, and uh, as you say, it's a showcase for uh, Freddie's voice. Um, yeah, it, you know, just give him a piano, yep. and and he can do the business, as we'll see in subsequent albums as well. You know, just incredible, and and. As I said before, you know this that this is Freddie emerging. You know he's fully formed now. He was he was getting his stuff together in Queen too, but this is him now. He's arrived, and the world knows he's arrived, kind of thing. You know, in terms of his presence or whatever if you want to call it, but also his, his amazing vocal talent, which is what we want to talk about more than you know the other That's, stuff. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, the guy should be remembered for his music first and foremost. Yeah, and that's that's not that is not a a dig at his sexuality. As I mean, I'm completely cool with everybody. You know, I mean, everybody to their own, and as long as they're happy, and you know, go for it. That's my that's my mm-hmm. philosophy. There's too much um, emphasis on you know all, all the stuff that really really doesn't matter, like you know his lifestyle and stuff. That was his business. You know, what I mean, but people obviously I understand that some people they like to latch on to the you know the kind of the big story and all that, you know what I mean, to make it interesting. But, uh, you know, but it's good to sit here and, and talk about the guy for the, the, who, he, who he was musically, do you know what I mean, and as a showman as well. A song I wanted to mention is, uh, you know, in terms of my favourite tracks, um, a lot, lot, lot very similar to Joe and Paul, big surprise. Um, but, you know, Stone Cold Crazy, absolutely. But Leroy Brown is one of my favourites on the album. She makes me as well. Yes, I absolutely agree with that. Um, in the lap of the gods, the first version rather than revisit revisited is very good. I don't think I've talked about that too much, um, but I, 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 I can, I can take it or leave it. Yeah, it's still, I it's still. It I, I like it as a live tune. I think live it definitely yeah. works. Yeah, live is um, amazing. It's a, be- yeah. it's a better song live than it is. On it's the meant album, to be. It's, it was meant to be live. That was why it was written specifically for that reason. Yeah, I really like um, another one we've maybe not mentioned is uh, Dear Friends, you know, the little mm. interlude uh, Brian Mayro, um, you yeah. know, Brian plays piano on and Freddie sings and um, yeah. and you can really notice the piano playing, you know, from Brian to Freddie because Brian's really soft. Freddie was always a really rhythmical piano player. Yeah. And, you know, Brian's kind of really 
tickles the, the, the keys, you know, and, and you can really hear that in Dear Friends, and I think Dear Friends are lovely wee interlude. Um, and then you're in, in Misfire, Misfire, and Misfire's one of those ones we, we had a little bit of a, I would say, <laughs> a debate, but we had a little bit of a kind of back and forth and, um, on it, and I think it's actually, it's just, just joyful. It's a like joyful it's song, and, and as Freddie always said, uh, John's compositions, um, always that kind of, you know, that Motown vibe to them, and I love mm-hmm. singing those songs, and that was what Freddie said, and you could see a Motown band doing this song, and a Motown artist doing this song quite easily, and the bass player, and I think Joe mentioned it earlier on, we were talking about that, the bass lick, fuck, absolutely brilliant, you know, and I think Misfire's I think it's excellent and Freddie's voice on it is brilliant and he does the falsetto yeah. stuff as well they kind of really soulful falsetto stuff I think it's a great and it's John's obviously first first song for Queen well I imagine it's his first song for Queen because it's the first one that appears on an album but um, it's it's wow it's it's. I think it, I think it's a great wee tune and it's, it's another pop tune maybe pop soul tune, whatever you want to call it, but, um, you know, um, but that and Killer Queen, obviously, in terms of pushing the band in a, not a different direction, but expanding the band's horizons or, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, dear, dear friends, beautiful, just a beautiful little, uh, uh, Misfire, I was kind of unkind to uh, before. You compared to it to you, The guys. Invisible Man. <laughs> well, it's not quite that bad. On the surface, it's, it's a wee throwaway pop song, uh, but there are, you know, when you peel the layers back, the, the bass playing on it is incredible. Is it the best thing that John Deacon ever wrote? No. Oh, absolutely the best, not. The best thing he ever wrote is on the next album, You're My Best Friend. No, it's no. One of, I disagree, man. Nah, it's, I disagree one of, well. it's one of the it's greatest songs we've ever recorded. To me, anyway, it, nah, fair enough. you know, th- there's better things to come from him. But for a first attempt, yeah, it's, it's pretty, pretty, you know, it's, it is what it is. Does it have the same weight as Stone Cold Crazy and, you know, Killer Queen and, and the Lap of the Gods? No, but um, it is what it is. And it, yeah. it does a job. Uh, I think you were looking at some of the reviews for the album. How, how, are, how are the reviews in 1974 for this album? Uh, I've got two. I've got two reviews here, and it's like in a mixed bag. You know, I'll, ju- I'll just read out a couple of things. So, this is from a publication called Phonograph Records. This is by John Medelson. So he says, "I hunted all over both sides of this latest album for something, anything, even remotely as magnificent as Keep Yourself Alive or Father to Son, only to end up empty-eared and bawling." Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, hmm. And he, all, he goes on to say that Queen have just gone overboard. Maybe completely missing the point. And, uh, and he goes on to say, lots of people can play the guitar as well as Brian May. Tuh. But there aren't 10 groups recording who can harmonise like that, meaning uh, vocal harmonies. So that, that's Sir John Medelson. And he, he, he dismisses... Uh, Taylor and Deacon but basically saying, you know, most groups don't let their drummer and bass players have a song, but Queen do. But they're not that's, that good kind of thing. That's because Queen is four guys. Yeah. 
Yeah. Again, Talk. that whole that whole myth of, you know, Jimmy Page, Robert Plant. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, it has to be the singer and the guitar player that write write all the music. You know, which is yeah. bullshit. When you can, you know, anyway, yeah. that's Led Zeppelin. So moving on, uh, this this is uh, Rolling Stone. This is by Bud Scopper. Uh, cool name. Queen knows its stuff, but they haven't managed to approach the stunning flamboyance they displayed on Liar and Keep Yourself Alive. What? The best tracks in the album, or the first album, sorry, Queen much less show any noticeable development since their first promising beginning. And like 10cc, which the band some sometimes resembles. 10cc? Yeah, I know. Again, you know, we've said before about the critics, maybe, you know, you, you listen to, I don't know how often they listen to a, a, an album or whatever before they write their, their piece. I think there's a, a, a few points have been missed um, in, in both those reviews, you know. Most definitely. But it's a cool bit. Uh, Roger Taylor's sunnily striking good looks are a compelling contrast to Freddie Mercury's curiously satanic brunette appeal. <laughs> yes. I thought that was cool, man. Curiously satanic brunette appeal. That can't be real, can it? <laughs> they can't print that. <laughs> Shit sandwich. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, the, I think there were some positive reviews. I think NME had given it a good review this time, actually, um, Sheer Heart Attack. And it was a, there was a few others. Um, but the, the I think it was the same review, Paul, that you were talking about, the, the Mendelssohn review for this phonographic record uh, mm-hmm. magazine or paper or whatever it was at the time. Um, but it actually said they'll swear that they never made an album called Sheer Heart Attack. Well, I think what he was essentially saying is this band will progress so much and it'll get to a point when they'll oh. look back and say... <laughs> they'll disown it. That, yeah, they'll say that they never made this album. <laughs> okay, what? that's... that's You know, exactly. It's, again, it's just, it's just the, the same old shite, to be yep. honest. Um but anyway, I think I think we are we're done. I think we we have talked probably um, more in depth than we have done to this to this point about any of the, the, the previous two albums. Um, so I think we've talked a lot about the you know the, the individual tracks a lot more, and and I think that's probably a testament to the the, the, the kind of different vibes on this album. Is Sheer Heart Attack a better better album than Queen Two? Well. It's not necessarily the case. Different. Um, it's different. It's different. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's that's like that's the thing. And it's all it's always it's always um, subjective, you know. Possibly, I, I still like Queen Two better, but I feel myself talking a lot more about this album on this podcast than I did Queen Two. So, you know, what that one out? It's it's just it's it's just a. It's just Queen in it. <laughs> it's just it's it's yeah. They, they you know they, they keep you they keep you kind of on your toes. You know in terms of how you think about their music and how you how you you know you believe they you know they progress and don't progress and all the rest of it. I'm going to come to you guys to finish us off. So Joe, any final thoughts on Sheer Heart Attack as an album? 
it's just the natural progression from Queen 2. That's kind of how I see it. Um, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean it in a, in a really good way. It's just, it just seems to be an album where Freddie kind of really comes into his own. Um, and I think they come into their own uh, as songwriters as well. Again, moving into some different styles, um, like full songs of one particular style that they hadn't really done that much of on the first two records. Well, they, they had straight rock songs and stuff, but um, it's, a, it's a lot more, I think there's been a lot more conscious decision to, to try and, I don't make, it sound, make this sound contrived, but I think there's con- they've been conscious about trying to write more palatable music almost on some of the tracks, like Killer Queen and stuff like that, because like it's so dramatically different from anything on the first two records. But it's an amazing album, and it's it's a it's a diverse album. But you're going to say that about pretty much every single Queen's album from the seventies. Anyway, they're all diverse, and that's the kind of beauty of this album for me is that it kind of covers all the moods, you know. And mm-hmm. as people and listeners, you know, your mood changes like like that, you know. So I mean, the, the album if you let the album take you, it will take you. In, different vibes and different moods and that's what I, ultimately what a great album should do yep yeah uh, you know Joe's spot on um, and I think uh, you know as I said towards the end there um, from now on each Queen album doesn't sound like the one before pretty much although you could argue maybe at some point there's a there's a, a slight similarity between a night at the opera and a day at the races, but we'll get to that. Yeah, that, this album, Queen, Queen are definitely showing how diverse they can be as musicians and songwriters. Um, they could have kept plowing the kind of metal funnel and probably been quite successful at it, but this band is, uh, there's too much invention in this band, and we'll see in the next album how they carry, you know, they carry on. Um, and, t- and take what's on Sheer Heart Attack and make it even bigger with some absolutely monumental tracks on it, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But that'll be for the next podcast. Sheer Heart Attack, great album, give it a listen. Yeah, you won't be disappointed. Every album Queen made, you could say there, there was diversity on it. Even, even the albums that weren't is necessarily, you know, creatively rich. They were always, I think every album was always pretty diverse. You know, you were never going to get a purely pop album or a purely rock album or purely, you know, whatever. You know, you were, you were always going to get a, a little bit of a vibe from different, of, of different styles, for good or bad. But in the 70s, it was definitely for good. Um, and mm. for the most part, mm-hmm. when we get to sort of post, um, post maybe uh, Night of the Opera, it might start to it might start to get a little bit um, different in terms of how we see see things. But we'll, um, but we'll definitely cover that um, when we get to that point. If you've managed to stay with us through this probably pretty mammoth uh, podcast, um, thank you very much. All the best to, to everyone out there. Um, Paul, any last words? Yeah, cheers everybody. Uh, give us a follow on at Lappods uh, on Twitter. Um, and uh, we'll see you in the next one. Cheers.
Joe, any final thoughts, man? I just hope that if by some miracle that somebody's listened to this and hasn't heard this album, go and listen to it, man. Because like every Queen record, Joe, it'll uh, expand your, your musical horizons a wee bit if you let it. Very wise words from uh, both of you gentlemen. So we'll leave it there. And uh, thank you for listening. And please tune in for the next session, which we'll, uh, when we'll be talking about a night at the opera, the very famous album. Thank you very much. Take care, everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye.